Episode four, Athletes Out of Action. We have a good one for you here today. Um, this is our second current or former rostered Major League Baseball player, which is pretty exciting considering we started this, what, two weeks ago? <laughs> we're um, batting two for four. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing pretty well at this point. Um, Joe, how's life? What's been going on? Uh, like we mentioned earlier, the days are just kind of colliding with one another and uh... – and you know, just, just quarantine, uh, quarantine dream. That's all. Yeah. So we we talked a little bit off recording, and I mentioned how it felt like yesterday was Saturday and tomorrow's Thursday. Um, <laughs> it, everything is just running together one day after another. Um, but we have this to kind of distract us and take us yep. away for a little bit anyway. I know I'm uh, seeing squiggly lines in my dreams from all the <laughs> audio editing I've been doing. But enough about that. Pat Light. Um, so Pat Light, for those of you who don't know, a former first round pick of the Boston Red Sox. I think he was 37th overall back in, I believe, 2012, if I'm not mistaken, drafted out yes. of Monmouth University. Joe, can you give us a little bit of a backstory on Pat? Yeah, so I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, cross paths with Pat through mutual friends. And um, like I said, the connections and networks that a game of baseball brought me. Thank God. And, um, you know, Pat's got an interesting story nonetheless. Um, you know, obviously a major leaguer is cool on its own, but, you know, Pat was a kid that didn't touch the varsity field his freshman and sophomore year at high school and, um, you know, played freshman, played JV. And uh, going into his junior year, he wasn't going to be one of their starters as well. Um, five pitchers get injured. Next thing you know, Pat's on the mound uh, and goes 20-0 and in his high school career which is absolutely insane. Um, heads the Monmouth throw in, you know, 86, 88 junior year at Monmouth hits a hundred, has a great career there, gets drafted. And, um, you know, the rest is history. The man is a, he's a good guy. He's, uh, he's now opening some business on his own and we'll, we'll learn more about that, but it's just an incredible story. And any young people listening, you know, just hear where this kid came from and where he ended up. It's, it's, the story on its own. I think the the crazy part, and again, we'll talk a little bit after we we roll the interview. But to me, the concept of this guy was 16 years old and had not played essentially. Uh, I'm not going to say a meaningful inning, mm -hmm. but you know, he was playing freshman as a freshman. He played JV as a sophomore, um, yep. and then. Four or five years later, he's clocking 100 miles an hour on the radar exactly. gun, which is, I mean, insane. Uh, not only a testament, obviously, just to his God-given talent and ability, but I, right. you know that there's work ethic there. You know that there's opportunities there. Um, and essentially, through his interview, that's kind of the stuff that he's going to touch on, which I think is yeah. valuable lesson for those, uh, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers that might be giving this a listen who are stuck on their couch and can't get out on the field right now. Yeah, he invested in development and, and just kind of let time do its thing. So with that, we'll send you off into the interview again. This is Pat Light, former first-round draft pick of the Boston Red Sox. Um, and we will pick up with you after the interview. Give a little bit of background about yourself. I, I I'm fortunate enough to know, you know a good bit about you. Um, you know, CBA High School, uh, Monmouth, professional baseball player. Like, what's the Pat Light story? You know, more like to to yourself. I mean, yeah. You, so you know, you obviously went to CBA base. Went, went to CBA. You know, 2005, 2009 time. You went to Monmouth for three years. Left in 2012 for the Red Sox. You know, played with the Red Sox till 2016 and getting traded at the deadline to the Twins and then eventually to the Pirates and Mariners and then out of baseball. Um, you know, I, I, I never really expected. I remember I always tell the story when people ask me about my baseball career and, and, and things like that about, you know, my freshman and sophomore year, there was a, a really um, good chance. At least we all felt like there was a good chance that I was going to get actually cut from the baseball team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned AC. AC had already been on varsity for two years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of my good friends were there. And I happened to have, and I, he's denied it to this day, but I happened to have my seventh grade science teacher as the JV coach 
at CBA. Okay. Um, and I had a good relationship with him. And uh, my freshman year, I, I didn't, didn't play in the team pretty much at all. I was, you know, bench warmer. And then my sophomore year, that seventh grade teacher kind of gave me a shot. Uh, eventually went to varsity my junior year. And then I was the sixth pitcher on the team. And five guys all got a hurt, hurt before opening day. Oh, wow. So I ended up being the uh, the opening day starter for the team and, you know, kind of never looked back. Um, from there, I ended up getting drafted out of high school and then eventually into college and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, it's, it's not much to – I mean, it's just, you know, regular guy, like playing baseball. Unfortunately, it ended a little bit sooner than I had hoped it would. But, um, you know, I was able to make a lot of connections outside of my baseball life. That has helped me, you know, whether or not, you know, I do some stuff with Barcelona now, uh, you know, own a couple of restaurants. That's all based off connections I've made yeah. um, in baseball. And then being able to help my parents and my, you know, Scott Boris is my agent. He helped me through uh, handling my finances mm-hmm. so that I had some money, you know, no matter where I ended up in, at the end of my career, I had some money to be able to kind of invest and go about my life in hopes that, you know, I never had to do something um, that I didn't love doing Um you know, after my baseball career is over. And that's so far, I mean, I'm only two years out, but so far uh, baseball has afforded me that, that, that right. And that, not that right, but that privilege. Yeah. Um, so far out of baseball, which has been absolutely tremendous. Absolutely. And that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, I think, you know, speaking to some youth athletes that um, it's not necessarily about the, the back of the baseball card or, you know, the, the statistics, but like what you're getting from the experience itself and the friendships, relationships, like, like you just said, some of those things that you've gone through along your journey has led to where you are today. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome to hear from, you know, someone like yourself. Now, perhaps there's, you know, a youth athlete out there who is struggling to, to make a high school team such as yourself, right? Like you said, your first two years, it was, it was a tough time. And, um, you know, other than the, the fact that that one coach had faith in you and gave you a shot, like what did you do during that time to, you know, to put yourself in a position where, Hey, if my name is called, I'm going to take advantage of this. You know, it's, it's really all about work and it's, it's difficult to really, um, to do as a kid because mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, baseball was something you played for fun. Yeah. Um, you never, you know, it wasn't about, you went home and you played baseball because you wanted to go have some more fun. It wasn't about, you know, working on that two seam fastball. So you started outside and it ends up on the outside corner or, you know, starting the splitter to where it looks like a fastball at belt high to get the guy just to think it's a fastball long enough to, to get him to bite. You don't think about that stuff when you're when you're reading your kid, and you really don't. I remember my dad dragging me outside to work on pitching those two years mm-hmm. specifically, and I hated it. I didn't want to go out and pitch. I wanted. I was doing something else. I was probably you know trying to talk to girls on you know with pain <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, I didn't care. I didn't want to pitch. Um, so it's difficult, but it really is all about the work ethic um, and what you're willing to put into baseball. Um, is really what you're willing to get out of it. I remember, you know, I remember towards the end of my career when I was struggling throwing strikes, um, I tried anything. You know, I tried not working at all, you know, just kind of letting my mind be free and not thinking about baseball so that, you know, when I was out there, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking so much. That didn't work at all, let me tell you. Um, it really is, at the end of the day, at least for in my case, was, you know, how prepared did you feel to be out there? And that is when you kind of relax and, 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 you're able to perform at a higher level because you know, you've put in the work to do that. Yeah. You know, my high school years when I was, when I was, you know, had moved on and been, been, you know, the, the better pitcher on the team, the best pitcher on the team, it was because, you know, I went out there with an extreme amount of confidence. Yes. You know, I knew I put in the work. I knew I had the guys behind me. Um, I knew I had, you know, I had so much had put into this that I, I was pretty sure that the, the other guy on the other side was, had not done the same stuff that we had done or not had done the stuff the same, you know, you know, had didn't have the same people behind them or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, honestly, if there's, a, if there's a, a youngster out there, you know, who might be struggling one, give it time. You know, I get a lot of direct messages on Instagram to talk about how do I throw harder and how do I do that? Yeah. And listen, I was that same kid. All I wanted to do was throw hard. And at the end of the day, I can promise you, you know, I became a first round draft pick because I threw a hundred at Monmouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, it was that, that arm, that raw talent it was, is what got me there. 
but you still need to have the rest to be a big leader. Um, so yeah, you might get drafted throwing a hundred, but if you don't put it all together, you can, you know, I've seen guys throw a hundred don't make it past rookie ball in, in pro ball. So give it time. Like, you know, I didn't start throwing, I didn't throw a hundred till my junior year in college. When I was 21 years old. You know, I threw 85 to 88 really in high school. Maybe I touched 90, but not very often. Yeah. And that's where a lot of high school guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just be patient with yourself. You know, work hard. Don't just sit, sit around playing video games, uh, which I probably was guilty of too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, be patient with yourself because everyone develops at a different time. Um, and it, you don't really know what's going what, what's to come out of you until you become really an adult. And eventually, you know, you learn what your body's capable of. But there's plenty of late bloomers out there that made it to the big leagues. That's uh, that's good stuff. That's um, you know, and like, like you said, you were, you know, first round draft pick and the highest in the in the NEC conference history too. You know, I know you're a pretty humble guy, but that's that's going from where you were to to getting there is a story in itself. And um, I, I think that should give hope to many athletes out there that hey, like today you may not be where, where you want to be, but that doesn't mean you're ultimately not going to get to where you want to be. Um, you know, it's um. That's pretty awesome. Now, you know, taking forward to right, you're you put forward an amazing career at, at Monmouth. Like, what what ignited you to go to, you know, your your local hometown college? Like, well, how was the recruiting process like? You know, now that you're on the map in high school, and um, you know, did you want to stay close to home? Is that is that something that struck you there? Honestly, no. I wanted to go as far away as possible. Um, <laughs> I'm happy I did it, um, but. Honestly, I wasn't recruited that heavily. Uh, St. Joe's did, did did recruit me pretty hard. Damn it. Um, yeah, they messed that one up. Who's the what's the coach's name over there? Uh, Fred Sandberg. Yeah, he recruited me pretty well. Um, Monmouth was was hot on my tail. There's a couple a uh, couple um, uh, schools down south, but no, no, not not the big names. None of the big names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to go to big names, um, but honestly the sport of baseball is such a unique thing um, in the sense that, you know, lots of guys get drafted, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, obviously percentage wise, it's a very small percentage of college baseball, but um, still you have, you have, you have more people getting drafted in this sport than you do in any other sport. Um, at the end of the day, I'm, I, you know, mom, it's Dean Halt was, was, you know, ended up giving me a full ride. The only thing I ended up only having to pay for books when I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they told me I was going to pitch from freshman year on, all that stuff. And at the end of the day, that is what got me to be a first round draft pick. Uh, you know, my freshman year, not many people know this, I was two and six in the NEC with a six one two ERA. Yeah. I remember it to a T. You know, I was horrible, but I pitched every weekend. Um, and I learned a lot. My sophomore year, I was five and five, I think with like a four. Um, and then my junior year, I went like nine and two. So I really didn't have a good year until my junior year in college. But if I didn't pitch my freshman, sophomore year, you know, and I just started up my junior year in hopes, I, you know, I had no chance of getting drafted. You know, maybe if I came out and just threw a hundred, but you know, you know, and then obviously I probably would have gotten drafted, but no chance of being in the first round or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and something that I preach to kids that, you know, reach out to me and talk to me about going to big schools is like, listen, man, I know 10 horror stories for every one good story out of those schools. Mm-hmm. You know, how many guys go to UNC and Vanderbilt and all these schools and then they have they have along with they all on 25 percent scholarships, 10 percent scholarships, whatever the case may be, because they split their, their money. Yeah. And now you have seven first basemen with you mm-hmm. that you're you're trying to, to beat out. And there's, there's only one job. Um, and the next thing you're in the transfer portal, you got to sit out a year and the next thing you know, it's your junior year and you've, you haven't played college baseball yet and you're trying mm-hmm. to get drafted. Um, going to a school that you can play in at the end of the day, thank God was a big reason I went to Monmouth, um, because that was the smartest decision I've ever made in my life. St. Joe's would have been another good one too. I don't know quite how would they hit, you know, what you guys had there when my coming in my freshman year, if I would have pitched every weekend, mm-hmm. like I did at Monmouth, but you know, those smaller schools that are going to give you the chance to develop those freshman, sophomore years is as, as important as it gets in baseball. If you don't, if you, if you, if you take the risk of going to a big school, 
I've seen many careers fail because of it and guys that were good and they failed because of it. And it had nothing to do with their baseball talent. It had everything to do with the school they chose. So it's a big decision. People don't, I don't think kids and parents, because they don't know what they're going through, realize the decision they have on their hands. And I think this is, this is great for young kids to hear, especially in a time where a lot of them are panicking as well with the recruiting process, you know, kind of being on hold, um, you know, like I'm, I'm currently coaching at a division two school and it's a first time for coaches as well. Like it's, it's, yeah. you know, so a lot of kids, I think to hear from you, um, it, it means a lot more than, you know, there's someone like me were telling these young guys, um, that's for sure. Now, you know, like you said, you, the highest draft pick in, in conference history and, you know, you're going to, to one of the most prestigious, you know, organizations in all baseball, right? The Red Sox and, you know, what was that moment like? Because, I mean, not many people will be able to experience that in their lifetime. And, you know, going from a first-round pick to your journey through the through the minors. Um, I mean, well, the experience was obviously great. I, 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 it's, I struggle with it every time people ask me what my best – my favorite moment in baseball was and whether, whether it was, you know, getting called in the big leagues or if it was getting drafted. Both moments were so yeah. – uh, and it's such, such an amazing time. Um, but I mean, the experience, the, the draft process is pretty, pretty interesting. Not like something you really thought you were going to go through, but, um, I, you know, obviously minus, you know, the uh, thousands of phone calls you get from scouts and stuff like that, trying to figure out if you're a good kid or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the day before I got a call from the Red Sox, um, I can't, I don't remember if I got a call from other teams, uh, but I specifically remember the Red Sox, obviously, cause that's where I ended up. Um, and they had said that they had interest in me at their, their, their 30 for, I think it was 31 and 37, uh, was the two picks they had in the, or they had an additional, I think 20, the, the pick 24 in the first round, they had three picks because they received two from Jonathan Powell leaving. Okay. And, uh, they called me had so they had interest at 31 and 37 and wanted to know, uh, what my number was, you know, signing bonus wise at 31, um, and I, and first thing that popped in my head was a million dollars. Um, so I went with that one, um, significantly under slot. And I went under slot because I thought that, you know, you know, I, I didn't really understand my value, uh, as a 21 year old kid, neither my parents, but all of us going through at the same time, you yeah. really rely on your agent who happens to be one of those agents I had spoken about previously, um, who was not a great person, but I went under slot because I thought I had to um, the slot for, for, for 20, 31, I believe is 1.5. And then 37 is 1.3. Um, uh, but they said, okay. And hung up the phone. And um, at pick like 25, they called and said, would you, would you still take a million at 31? I said, yes. And then 31 comes and they pick a guy by the name of Brian Johnson. Uh, who I actually became great friends with. So one of the, probably the only player I still talk to in baseball, um, at least regularly. And he signed out of Florida. He was, you know, the best two-way player of all time. Apparently, he was like he got the, you know, between him and John Olrude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at 30, 30 pick thirty-five, I believe, or thirty-four, they called and said, "Would you take a million at, at thirty-seven as well?" And uh, I said yes. And they said, "Okay, we're going to take it." And so then obviously now those, these next three picks take about an hour. You only have five, it's only like five minutes you have to take the team to make the pick, but it felt like it took you know, seven hours from then until 37 and um, 37 came and they ended up taking me. I was, I mean, it was a blur from there. Um, you know, it was just excitement and, and jumping around yelling, you know, who knows? I already talked loud as my girlfriend likes to point out to me every day. So you can imagine my tone then. I was probably screaming, um, but it was it was a great time. Uh, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and then the minors. I mean, I could talk about the minors for, for this guy, <laughs> you, know, you know, for I could write a I could write about six books in the minor leagues. It is it's a tough process. It's a fun process. It's something I don't miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, the minor leagues were, you know, you just got a bunch of guys grinding and trying to make make their dreams come true. I mean, I remember the old, there's like, there's these like 1%, this is 1% saying, it was 1% of, of college athletes get drafted, 1% of those 1% make it to the big leagues, and then 1% of that 1% make it 
play a full year in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to make it that final 1% and I never got there. I was, I ended up, I think my, my big league time is amounted to like two and a half months or something like that. Um, but and, I mean, it's a, as big of a roller coaster as you could imagine as a baseball player yourself, you know, you know, the roller coaster of a baseball season Yeah. and trying to, you know, be, you know, stay healthy, pitch, pit, play whatever position you are, play well, and then, you know, get a job, keep your job. And now you're, now you add in the fact that you try to advance different levels. You're, you're now, not only the guys on your team, are you competing with, are you competing against the other team? You're also competing with guys on your team to, to move up. It's, it's a, and I, it's it's a, it's not a nightmare, but that's the word that comes to mind when trying to figure out the whole minor league system and 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 making it to the big leagues. So now I, I I think I know your first batter faced in the big leagues was that uh, was that Trout? Uh, no, no, no. So my first game in the big leagues was in Atlanta. Okay, well, my first game at Fenway. Yeah, my uh, AC was at the game in Atlanta. He should know this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I pitched in Atlanta. I don't remember who my first batter was in the big leagues. Um, I remember my first out was Nick Marcakis. Nice. Um, but uh, my first bat, everyone, I know this is the old, this is every time I'm on Barstool, they talk about this frick, that freaking game in, in Fenway against the Angels. It was happening to Mike Trout. Um, but uh, essentially, what had happened was um, we were getting beat up like 12 to two or something like that. Something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously a time as a baseball player stuff, you know, that's the time where they throw in the rookies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, essentially they just called down and said, Hey, we need Pat up. Uh, and they said, okay. And then they called down about a second later and said, we need Pat for the next batter. <laughs> and which is very quick for a guy to get ready. Yes. Um, and I asked my pitching coach, Dana, who, who, who was the next batter? And he said, my trout. And I was obviously thrilled to hear that. <laughs> um, and then I asked him who was next, because hope, hoping that we had gotten through the meat of the order once we got through Mike, and it was Albert Pujols. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, so we had not gotten through the meat of the lineup. Ended up, ended up hitting Mike, uh, um, the second pitch of the at-bat on an 0-1 count, and then Albert Pujols took a 2-0 fastball uh, to right center for a basis-clearing double. And uh, that is when the 40,000 people booed me. So... <laughs> Good times, good times. Well, I'm sorry to bring light on that, uh, but you know, for for the you know the audience in general, right? So, mm-hmm. baseball is a sport, obviously, that we don't always love it. It's it's a love hate thing where we can have an outing such as that, but it ultimately we still come back to the game. And and when things weren't going right, perhaps maybe in that instance, like what were you doing to get back on track? And you know, during your career, whether it's you know when you were in the minors or, or professional or even today as a business owner, like when things aren't going right, how are you getting back on track mentally? Well, the biggest thing that you have to make sure that you're able to do, and this is might be something you're born with. You might not even be able to do this is, mm-hmm. is your temperament is, is what gets you, you know, riled up. What, you know, when you get really going oh, and you start losing your emotions, you start making poor decisions. Um, I remember being in my, in the, you know, in the kitchen with my chef and over at the sushi restaurant one time and we were slammed. We were absolutely swamped. We, I was great for business. We had a lot of people there, but we were behind on orders. Yeah. And I remember the guy, me going back and being like, Hey, relax, you know, just try to pump them out one by one. You know, some people are going to stay mad. Some people will get happy. Don't worry about it. And he had asked me why, you know, how could I do that? Like, how could I be so calm? And essentially, it obviously is something you're born with. But the, the comment I made to him is like, you know, once you've gotten, you know, hundreds of death threats on Twitter and uh, got booed by 40,000 people, you know, someone upset about their sushi rolls really doesn't get you riled up so much anymore. Um, but it's, it's a temperament that's going to be able to make you make rational decisions in those moments. Mm-hmm. And what you go back to as a baseball player is, is what, you know, what you, what you are and when you're successful. You know, I didn't think so much about, you know, the hit, you know, this guy just hit a moonshot over the monster as I did that fastball was, was left arm side. And I was trying to go down the way and I left it, I was late, I left it arm side. So now it's middle and up. Mm -hmm. And now that's a, you know, it's a meatball. So now instead of thinking about the moonshots that just happened, I'm like, okay, so my left, my front side opened up too early, which let my arm drag and and it rode on me. And now I'm like, okay, now I got to stay closed. I got to stay closed long enough to make sure that my arm catches up 
and I can deliver the baseball down and away. And that, that moonshot either t- turns into a strike taken mm-hmm. or probably a ground ball, possibly a double play out of the inning. And that one pitch now just screwed my whole out. <laughs> so you have to, you have to realize that it's not about the home run or the double that you just left. It's about where that pitch ended up, what you did wrong in order to do that. And mm-hmm. that's correcting course and fixing that for the next pitch. So you don't snowball. Absolutely. And, um, uh, kind of translating, uh, to another topic where we're, we're continuing this adversity thing. And, um, you know, what would you consider one of the most adverse moments that you've had to overcome in your life? Ooh. You know, whether well, it was most... on the field, off the field, you know, um, I, I, AC had mentioned, you know, some instances where you were playing that, you know, some tough times, but ultimately you've gotten back up and, and pursued other things. And, and, um, you know, it, I know it's a kind of vague question, but um, I like to, yeah. I like to learn about you know people's tough times as well. I mean, the last year, I, you know, I think that it goes back to the people you know that ask me, do I miss baseball? Mm-hmm. And I always say the same thing is that I I don't miss I miss being good at baseball. <laughs> um, you know, my last year was dude, man, it was a nightmare. And, you know, you talk about a guy. You know, I had I I had I had the yips in the sense of of you know i was missing i just you know a ball that was supposed to be low in a way that was you know six inches you know two inches three inches out was like the biggest deal in the world to me mm-hmm. so now i couldn't throw a strike like i wasn't missing straight to the backstop or anything crazy but it was like those small misses now all of a sudden were a huge deal to me yeah um and it was it would dude it was it was an absolute nightmare uh my last year i didn't enjoy in any capacity being out there. And I actually remember my, you know, probably about two weeks before I got released by the Mariners being like, I'm just going to keep going out there as much as they tell me to mm-hmm. just to get the paycheck. Um, because I knew release was coming. There's no way I didn't belong. I didn't belong on a little league field, let alone in the, you know, it, I was in triple A with the Mariners at the time. I didn't belong. I definitely didn't belong at the second highest level of baseball there is. Um, so, uh, I, that was that was a really tough time, um, but I think uh, realizing that once they did release me, that I was happier at home. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was playing, when I was really good at baseball and pro ball, you know, I was always looking forward to the off season. You know, I was always, you know, couldn't wait to be home back in Hoboken. You know, yeah. you know, having going out with my friends and you know playing Mario Kart. Like mm-hmm. I always loved that. And then as we got to that last month, January, before I had to go back to spring training, I was always like bummed that I had to go back. Yeah. And that you know, realizing that, and I know a lot of guys go through that still in baseball. You know, and realizing that you know, I don't need to force this. You know, I did try to get back in. I can never really recover um, as far as my you know throwing strikes. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm just over it. Um, and I think building those relationships in outside of baseball while I was still in and learning how to handle my money with my dad, you know, reading books on how to manage money mm-hmm. and how to, how to invest money. I think that is what ultimately was able, was what helped me get through it all. Yeah. Is the fact that I was no longer just a baseball player. You know, a lot of guys, you know, I always said that when I was playing in baseball, that I never wanted to coach baseball when I was done. You know, maybe I'd coach my kids if I ever have them, mm-hmm. you know, down in Little League and stuff like that. But I never wanted to be a baseball lifer. That was not my thing. Uh, it was, it, you know, I wanted to be something different when I was done. I wanted baseball to go back to being just something fun. Yeah. Um, not that job that stressed the hell out of me um, when I was playing towards the end there. And um, I think – having an alternate, not, not an alternate world, but like, you know, having something that wasn't just baseball, part of my life, I think helped me not get so down on myself when everything was over and be, be completely lost. Right. You know, I had, I had, you know, two months after the marriage released me, my buddy texted me and said, Hey, do you want to go in this restaurant with me? I mean, I, I mean, as good of luck as I could have, mm-hmm. and, you know, God bless, God bless somehow that happened. But, you know, I had that. I had built those relationships over the years of my baseball playing days that he thought of me as a guy that would want to go in with something with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, think, I think it's huge for athletes, not just baseball players, or probably, you know, just anyone in general, to not just be defined by one thing. Yep. Um, have more than one Yeah, if you're defined as a baseball player or a football player or just a financial manager or 
whatever the case may be. And next thing you know, you know, the stock market crashes, you lose your job and you got nothing, you know, but now you're defined as one thing, you're screwed. Yes. Um, and I think having multiple things to define yourself as, I think will help you through adversity and realize that this is not the end of the world, but you can't throw a two two zero fastball over the middle of the plate. Mm. You know, it's not the end of the world. And I think in the end, that probably would have helped me even more throw fastballs over the plate 2-0, knowing that this wasn't the end of the world for me. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't realize that, unfortunately, until after I was done playing. Now, I think this could technically be the answer for this next question, but you mm-hmm. know, if you had to pick one lesson that you learned between the lines that has translated to your daily life, like what would you consider that greatest lesson? And I think touching base on, you know, athletes like to consume that sport as their identity. Um, that's a great lesson in itself, you know? I mean, yeah, it's probably, it probably is the greatest lesson I've learned is it's just not make baseball your life. But I think the other thing that you got to is, is, is preparation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in my own life, I can't speak for everything because I saw plenty of guys have that no care, no, you know, way attitude, um, I mean, you played with, I'm sure, sure you played with Jimmy Acobonis, <laughs> yep. you know, yeah, that guy, that guy prepares, but at the same time, that guy's got more of that laid back, relaxed lifestyle yes. that, and that's how he's successful. And I think that's how, you know, he's had control problems since I've known him in high school, yeah. but I think he's been able to manage that because he doesn't put too much stress on himself. Yep. Um, I went from a, an, an enormously strike thrower to lost that identity in, in AAA and I had no idea. I was lost as a baseball player from then on. I was no longer the strike thrower, um, and I couldn't handle it. I, you know, Jimmy was has been has been phenomenal handling, and I haven't. I wasn't, and that's the difference there. Um, but I think I think being that being those guys that you know again don't define yourself as one thing, um, but preparation is 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 huge. And for, you know, for people that you know, you can't. You got to know how you're successful and preparing, you know, me feeling as prepared as I possibly can for anything, whether it is going into a restaurant where it's about making an investment somewhere else, or if it's about pitching, uh, feeling prepared going into that endeavor is, is the biggest thing you, I, I, you know, you can take away, or at least I could take away from, you know, how to be successful. Who would you consider, you know, one person that's impacted your life, um, you know, to be that athlete that you were, but also the person you are today. Like, has there been one particular person that really has has impacted you in such a way? Um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of guys say this, but I think it's probably because it's true. And, you know, my father probably yeah. the most. Um, my dad was a baseball player; was a pitcher. Um, I think he, you know, he didn't really have much direction as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like you know learning how to pitch. Um, and he took everything he learned and, and passed it on to me. And then I think I took it one step further. And like I always tell, you know, some people that, you know, you know, if my kid takes it one step further, you know, he's going to be a great big leader. <laughs> so we hope the line continues, but, um, you know, my dad, you know, he's helped me in baseball, you know, tremendously. Uh, my dad is who got me into investing my money, uh, and doing things like that. My dad has helped me through uh, restaurants and, and, and things like that. Even though he didn't have much experience, you know, he was an entrepreneur himself. Yeah. But um, in every aspect of my life, my dad has always been the guy that has helped me and, and taught me things that he's learned and how, how helped me become successful uh, in those in those different fields. As I mean, granted, I'm only a 29-year-old kid. I can't really say I'm super successful yet. But you know, as I, you know, everything I've gone into so far has been, has been, has been good decisions. Yeah. I mean, for the most part. Um, and I, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to do that all on my own. You know, I would have, you know, probably all my money would be still with a financial manager who's taken, you know, crazy fees and, you know, all that good stuff instead of me actually having control of my own money. And now, you know, being in the private sector with, with two restaurants and real estate, and then having some money in the public markets and, and, and being able to live um, and do school and without having to worry about going to a nine to five job, which has just been tremendous. Yeah, man. That's uh, it, you, you set yourself up in, in many ways and for post work. So that's, I think, big takeaway for some young athletes. If you just be passionate about some other things as well. Um, Definitely. Now, if I'm a big quote person, um, now that like, okay. I'm coaching and um, 
you know, sometimes your voice is, is like beating a dead horse. You know, you need to relate to kids yes. in other ways. Um, so I like using quotes to, you know, hey, if Jeter said this or, you know, um, you know yes. Teddy Roosevelt said this, it might give some perspectives. You know, is there a quote that you like particularly that has helped you? A quote? Um, I mean, in my post-baseball life, there was a quote. I can't, I really don't remember who said it. Mm-hmm. It might have been like a Gary Vaynerchuk or a Tony Robbins okay. type character. Um, oh, uh, yeah, it, it was. Or you know, it might have been Dave Portnoy over at Barcelona. I can't remember, but there was a quote that said, um, "If you're not working for your own dream, you're working for someone else's." Love it. And as like as an entrepreneur, as a guy who you know wants to make his own life. Um, and not, you know, work for, you know, to help someone else make, I mean, I don't mind helping other people make, it sounds bad. I don't mind helping other people make their dreams come true. Yeah. But, um, you know, 90, you know, all my energy really is, is trying to advance, you know, my own dreams and, and, and make them, those a reality. Um, and I think at least in post-baseball, that has, uh, has been, you know, number one quote that I've always used is that, you know, I have to be working for my, to, to make my own dreams come true. Otherwise, I'm, I'm working for someone else's. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was something that's always resonated with me. Now, like you said, you, you, you never want to be a baseball lifer. Um, but, I mean, I followed you from afar, not, you know, not knowing I would be able to get to know you. Um, you know, I followed mm-hmm. you on, on social media platforms. And, um, you know, I've actually knew of your name since I was in high school, um, I was actually recruited by Oliveri with Monmouth. So like, okay. I would follow up on, you know, the teams. And so it's kind of cool that, that it comes full circle and I've gotten to actually talk to you, but, um, of course. you know, the plat- platform of being an athlete, right? Like we, we, it comes with, comes with it. Um, you know, our voice sometimes gets heard more than, than, than others. And, you know, what have you taken from that platform of being, you know, Pat like the, the su- successful baseball player to, to help others in, in all aspects of life? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's t- I mean, as far as my voice gets heard the most in the baseball community, um, obviously, because that's where I was, the, I was the most successful. And that was something that, um, you, know, you know, I can't really talk about investing yet. I, mean, I started investing my money three years ago. Yeah. You know, that, you know, I'm not by any means, trust the imagination, an expert in that field yet. Um, so as, but there's so many translations, you know, obviously in the baseball community, when I talk to, when I talk to kids, depending on the situation they're going through, you know, I'd give them advice based on my own experience. For example, like I told you earlier about the college, you know, choose a place you're going to play. Yeah. That's the most important thing you can do. It doesn't matter what division it is. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're good and you have talent, they'll find you. Um, you know, that's, that's, that, and then the day that's, and people get overlooked, but that's, that's pretty much what's going to happen in baseball. Um, but with the translations into the real world of baseball from baseball, you know, I'm able to help a lot of guys, especially, you know, my business partners now in navigating some of, um, some of the, the things they go through on a day-to-day level that they might not have experienced because they didn't. You know, maybe they did play in college, or maybe they played in high school. They didn't, you know, they didn't get the adversities you see in college or the adversities you see in pro right. ball and help them kind of navigate that stuff. Um, when big things happen, I think that is, has been my biggest help to my business partners is when big things happen, you know, like a pandemic right now, you know, being able to help them and re- relax them. <laughs> that this is not the end of the world. We'll be fine. We'll, we'll get through this. And taking it one step at a time, which is something you learn in baseball, um, is I think that has been my biggest contribution to people outside of the game. Um, because you don't, you know, in reality, man, like, unless you, you know, I'd say private college level, because it's a longer season, you're playing year round pretty much there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't play at the college level, you don't really get that, you know, methodical one day at a time approach. Um because high school, you don't play until the spring. Yeah. You know, maybe you do some winter workouts here and there, but you don't even think about baseball until the spring. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, maybe you're excited for the season. That's about it. Yeah. But at college, you got fall ball. You know, you got winter workouts. You got the spring season starting in January coming up. Then you got, you know, if you if you if you play, you know, in the summer ball, which I I play both my summers, you know, away in different leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a year round job now that if you get caught up and consumed with one big event or one big thing. 
you know, you end up setting yourself back a little bit because you're overreacting to something when you really just need to take it one day at a time and, and make things work. Yeah. Now, we had mentioned, you know, earlier about things, you know, talking to our younger self, um, you know, looking back on things and experiences, like what was the pat light of, you know, 2020 till, you know, perhaps the junior year at CBA pat light or, you know, yourself on draft day, like what would you tell your younger self, you know, about some of the things you know now? Well, I definitely tell 2015 uh, Pat Light to not worry about throwing so many strikes yeah. when he gets converted to a reliever. <laughs> I would definitely like to tell him that. Um, but, you know, I would tell, you know, I, I would definitely tell high school Pat just to kind of enjoy everything a little bit more than you probably did. Mm-hmm. Um CBA was a lot of fun. I, I can't say I didn't enjoy that. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, but I think, you know, there were, there were you t- could have taken more. I was actually, you know what? Nothing more about high school pal. I would say the pro ball guy, guy in draft day. Tell him to take it in a little bit more. Enjoy the experiences a little bit more. Um, because when you start, you know, first round draft pick, you know, you, you talk about the highest, you know, highest pick in, in conference history, yeah. you know, you're thinking, you know, uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have a 10-year big league career. You know, I ended up having two and a half months. Um, things things change. Um, and the majority of my years were the majority of all, all professional baseball players are played in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, enjoying those years and, you know, you know all of the bus rides suck. And, you know, the overnighters are brutal. Um, the times where you, you, you're with your guys and you're, and you're all grinding trying to be somebody – um, those are the times that you should really take in and, and realize that they're definitely not going to last forever. Um, and, and sure enough, they didn't. Um, now you had mentioned you're, you're doing your restaurant stuff. Now you're back in school and, you know, what are some bucket list aspirations that you have moving forward and in, in your, the, the beginning of your new life, you know, like post athletics, it's, it's just the beginning I feel like. And, for someone who else might be venturing around that, you know, that thought now that this quarantine has taken away a lot of senior careers <laughs> and stuff, like what's, yeah. what's moving forward? What's some things that you got uh, planned? Well, my new, my new, uh, you know, growing up, I was, you know, a Jeter fan and, you know, looked up to some, a lot of these baseball players. My new, <laughs> oddly enough, my new, uh, you know, person I look up to uh, role model is Warren Buffett. Nice. Um, so, um, I honestly, I, I, I love investing. That was the, that has been the one thing that has brought out the competitiveness that I had in baseball into a real world way to make some money. <laughs> Cause you know, you know, in this life, you gotta make money in order to live. Um, so that has been my, my thing is, is I'm right now really kind of competing with Warren Buffett. You know, I actually, there's, a, there's these things you put on, I have, you know, one of the pictures saved on my uh, phone of Warren Buffett's net worth um, at different ages. Um, and I look, you know, you know, I, people could say it's greedy, which it's kind of is, but I kind of look at money as, as like a video game kind of like, um, it's like how you're leveling up mm-hmm. um, and trying to, I'm trying to compete with Warren um, and, and try to become that investor. And granted, um, luckily enough, Warren made majority of his, his 88 billion that he has now, um, after the age of 60, uh, which shows you patience. So there's definitely a priority here. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to become a, a, you know, a great investor. You know, I've spent my whole life being a baseball player. Um, and, you know, if you really think about it, you know, I spent, I started playing probably what, two years old, three years old mm-hmm. and, you know, played until I was, how old am I now? I'm 29 and played till I was 26, 27 years old. That's, you know, it's 20, you know, 25 years of putting my life into something. Yeah. Um, and now I've put, you know, I'm back at two years old in the investing world, yeah. you know, you know, trying to battle my way to the big leagues of investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's, it's, it's more exciting. You know, there's something to do instead. You know, I look, you know, I look at Barstool, something I do with them. I do a lot of their stuff for free um, because I think it's important to build that relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, maybe down the line stuff will come, you know, for, as far as money is concerned, but you know, that, you know, Barcelona is such a huge entity mm-hmm. and such a media powerhouse that they are able to, 
they don't probably know that. Well, they probably do. They're smart guys over there. But their their payment to me right now is just exposure. Yeah. You know, keeping me. I have more followers in Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. I have a bigger following now than I did when I was playing pro ball. <laughs> um, bigger platform. You know, I had exactly. You know, in, in in 2000, I always tell people this. In 2016, um, my last game in the big leagues, you know, I had like 3,000 followers on Instagram. No, no one knew anything about me. I was just some reliever that threw hard, but didn't seem like he could throw a strike. Um, so, and you know, now after my my playing days have been over, I, you know, that's when I've grown. Um, and I think you know, you know, with those relationships that I'm building over at Barstool, with the the guys that I know that do good restaurants and things like that, yeah. and then some of the people that do in real estate and the stock market, you know, building and bringing that all together, I think is. Um, my, you know, my, I guess, newest passion of trying to, you know, get to, I guess, like I said earlier, get to the big leagues of investing and see if I can't uh, become a big leaguer in my own right yeah. uh, in another way. That's, that's awesome. That finding another passion, you know, like find, pursuing something as, as much as you did as an athlete, using that mentality to, to take on this world too. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, do, do you have a place of, of peace or solitude? Like, you know, a place to get away and just, be in the moment and not have any worries. Like uh, some people say the beach, you know, I know Monmouth County has got some nice beaches. Where's your go-to spot? Uh, you know, it, that's, I would, I will tell you the, the number one thing. And if you ever in Hoboken, man, I'll, I'll, I'll have, I'll let you enjoy this with me one time right. is, is, um, is I, I'm really a huge fan of going to a bar when it's closed nice um and granted i have the keys to them so i (laughs) I can do that uh it's not not an experience everyone can have but um i'll tell you man like it is something it's interesting i'm a big sinatra fan and obviously sinatra grew up in hoboken um so it's it's an interesting thing and i like i like scotch so scotch is my drink of choice um it's an interesting thing being able to play sinatra in a a completely closed bar in hoboken um, typically that has to be on like a Tuesday because most of my bars are open late on, on, <laughs> on weekends. So it ends up being on like a Tuesday. Um, and typically because it's a Tuesday, no one's really out. So it's a, it's quiet out in the streets. Um, uh, but just sitting there with a glass of scotch and kind of taking in, you know, what you've accomplished. Um, this last bar I purchased and was this was in, um, September of this past year. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, five months of, of, you know, negotiations with a guy that I didn't really care for. Um, and he made things really difficult. Um, and, and it was, it was a lot of stress towards the end. Um, and finally getting it, uh, and it was my favorite bar in town. So that was, that was fun. Uh, but finally getting it, I was able to go in literally the, the day after I bought it. And it was like a, you know, I think like 1am on like a Wednesday. And I just sat there, listened to Sinatra and kind of like looked around and been like, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of stress, but you know, this is mine now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of relaxing. And it's also kind of like, you know, you, you end up, you know, you have a glass of scotch and you're by yourself. You end up, you know, thinking about a lot of things, um, mm. and, it, you know, taking a look at your life and, and where you're at in your life. It, it was, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to experience. So yeah. if you're ever in town, you let me know. You gotta uh, be on a Wednesday or Tuesday, but you're in town. It's fun. When all this stuff, uh, passes over, I will be out there to support, uh, now, what are the names of your two bars? Um, the sushi restaurant is called Suku, S-A-K-U. Um, and then the uh, sports bar is called Green Rock. Nice. Um, yeah, Green Rock is, is, is the one that I just bought. Um, uh, and that was my favorite bar in town for a number of years. Wow. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool that to now. Cool. Yeah, to now be, you know, the guy who operates the business. Um, and, um, you know, the majority owner of the place is, it's a, uh, pretty cool accomplishment uh, that um, I was able to do last year. I, I didn't know that you know, seven months after I bought the place, we'd have a pandemic. <laughs> uh, so timing wasn't great, yeah. uh, but I mean, it is what it is. And you know, it's, it's still pretty cool, you know, to have been able to go through that. And now, you know, hopefully come out the other side of this pandemic and, and have some fun. Yeah. Well, I'll drop my girlfriend off at, at your sushi restaurant because she, she loves sushi, and I'll come <laughs> hang with you at the Green Rock. That's perfect. Sounds great. Bring AC. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if you could bring five people, excluding family and friends, like you mentioned Sinatra, if you can bring five people mm-hmm. to sit with you and, and enjoy you know, some scotch, 
put closed bar. You know, who's your five people going to be? Oof. See, I'd say Warren Buffett's one of them, but I don't know if he'd be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely, I would 1,000%, uh, excluding family and friends. That's good. That's good to exclude. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, the Rat Pack, you know, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and Sammy Davis Jr., wow. who I, I actually looking at a picture of right now in my own room. Beautiful. Um, those three guys, I think, would be an absolute blast to see have a few glasses of whiskey yeah. um, and, and, and talk shop. Um, uh, let's see. You know, I would love to hear I – mean, I don't know how good people these people are, but I would love to hear some stories from uh, – from, uh, oh, why is his name slipping my uh, – Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard that guy was an absolute, you know, Savage. party animal. And, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, having, you know, those, who knows? I mean, they were, I guess, I guess I was kind of, I think Mickey Mail was before Sinatra, uh, but somewhat in similar time frame. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, they might, they may have crossed paths a few times. Um, and then in the essence of not just sitting here thinking, I'll throw in Warren Buffett, even though he doesn't really mix with those guys. Um, I'll throw in Warren Buffett just to, pick his mind. you know, pick his mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, I might bring him off to the side for an hour or so and talk investments and learn some <laughs> things. But uh, That's a pretty good I group. think, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine those, the Rat Pack and Mickey Mail not, not having a good time with those guys. Absolutely. I think that would be a great night. Um, I, I usually leave the, you know, the end for kind of like an open mic moment where if you, if I may not have touched on something that you find essential to your story or, you know, to helping someone else, like this is kind of a, your moment where, you know, unscripted, whatever, you, whatever you think is necessary to share. I mean, and we touched on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as far as, you know, kids are concerned, athletes are concerned as far as playing the game, baseball, or playing anything or whatever you want to do in life, um, you know, work hard. And, you know, as, as this type of podcast probably does, it probably touches, you know, probably a lot of guys and, and, you know, I'll probably repost this. So um, a lot of my followers will see it. I think the, the thing I want a lot of these high school athletes to take away is, is be smart about where you go to school mm-hmm. at the next level. Um, and I know I've touched on it earlier in the podcast, but I think it's important for guys to know that, you know, at the end of the day, playing the game of baseball is what gets you to the next level, not about what school you go to. Um, and if you're going to go to a school that you have a chance of, have a, a very realistic chance of riding the bench your first two years, mm-hmm. you're making a huge mistake by, by going there. Um, so I think, uh, you know, enjoy yourselves and have a good time playing the game because it doesn't last forever. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, you know, just, you know, take that into consideration when you're, when you're making, in my opinion, it was the biggest decision I ever made in my life um, at the, at tough to this point Absolutely. was what school I didn't know it at the time. Um, you know, I went there because honestly, I went there because I had a good chance of playing. They gave me in, but because they gave me the most scholarship money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have been a mistake to go to a big school for a smaller, you know, because, you know, I, I probably would not knowing my career any in the beginning of my, my mom's career, I would not have done what I needed to do in order to play there. And it was, it would have been, you know, my career could have ended a lot sooner. Um, so I think, I don't know about open mic, but <laughs> that is something hey, I want to, I want to, I want to narrow down for people. I want to make sure people, you know, especially young athletes, uh, which is about 95% of my followers, yeah. Um, that they they really you know think about when they're going to the next level. I've seen plenty of guys make it to the big leagues from D three, D two schools. Yeah. That's not or small D one. It's about the it's fit. Not, you know, yeah, it's not it's not about you know no one no one. I don't remember ever talking about when I was playing in the Red Sox clubhouse. I don't remember talking ever about what school anyone went to. Yeah, you know, I I talked to David Price all the time when I was up there, and not one time did anyone mention about him going to Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. No one cared. It's about what you do now. Yeah. Um, and you can't get better sitting the bench the first two years of a freshman and sophomore year in college. All right, so you heard it there from Pat Light again. I know he mentioned it. I mentioned it in the beginning, but in case you forgot, this is a guy who, you know, Coming out of high school, didn't know what to expect. 
going into college to Monmouth University, which, you know, I, I have personal experience. I, you know, met and talked with uh, Coach E. Halt on several occasions when I was younger. Um, I played summer ball up there over the summer. He basically gave me carte blanche to the facility over the summer, just as a, a D3 guy who was living up there by himself. So I'm, you know, forever grateful to him and that program. Um, but, you know, this is a guy where it, if you looked at him when he went in as a freshman, you're thinking, okay, this is just a, another run of the mill righty. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of valuable lessons as to how he achieved his success ultimately. Yeah, no, it's uh, the man believed that, you know, Monmouth was his fit, uh, a spot to go and develop his skills. You know, like he had mentioned, it wasn't just he was going there for the name of the school. Like he believed in the system, um, you know, believed that over time it would put him in a right position to pursue baseball as a career. But, you know, it seems like his time at Monmouth was used valuably as well in the classroom. Um, You know, he just kind of prepared himself in other aspects as well, where he is now a business owner and, um, you know, is learning more and more about the financial world. Uh, you know, there's not much else you can say to guy, the guy works his tail off the, you know, just the multiple lessons that are embedded there. And, you know, you and I talked and, you know, a little bit about me, I would, you know, was an assistant coach, um, at a, in a college program for seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now kind of made the decision to transition more of my focus and my time on my family, um, which also led me to coaching, you know, high schoolers who are playing summer ball, trying to get recruited. Um, and the amount of conversations that I try to drive home with guys where it's like, listen, it doesn't have to be D1 or bust. It doesn't have to be, you know, SEC, ACC. Um, while it's great if you do have the opportunity to go there and perform, um, only, a hand- Not many yeah, <laughs> only a handful of guys in the entire country get the opportunity to go into those programs as, as freshmen. And, you know, Pat touches potentially contribute. Yeah, And Pat touches on that where he's like, you know, I wanted to go as far away from home as possible. Um, I wanted to go to a big name school down south and not taking anything away from those programs. But he found his fit right in his backyard, essentially. Yeah. Um, So it's just a lesson, again, to those those uh, young men and women who might be listening, who are thinking about what the next step is, where I'm going to go to college. It, don't get caught up in the limelight if you want to pursue athletics in college. There's many, many, many opportunities out there. And it was a pleasure getting to getting to talk to him. He's a he's not just a baseball player. He, um, you know, he's defined by many things. And uh, for people that are listening out there, like, don't be afraid to have more than one dream. Uh, have more than one goal. Work as hard with that other passion in this time as you do with your your athletic craft. And you know. Um, you know, don't ever limit yourself. That's, that's kind of what I got from it as well. And, you know, that's a guy who had, you know, what you would say on paper, all the talent in the world, because he had the, just the given ability to throw a baseball. I read, I read that he was once clocked at 102 miles an hour, you know, which (laughs) is, he was a six, six house, which is insane. But him, even him knowing, Hey, I'm not untouchable. Um, I need to make yeah. sure that I'm setting myself up for success after the game is done. And it was done, as yeah. he mentioned, a lot quicker than he thought it was going to be. But luckily, right. he had a team of people, you know, Scott Boris goes without saying, um, one of one of, if not the best sports agent in the world, helping him line up his portfolio and make sure that he had money to set him up for the rest of his life. Um, and you heard, you know, he's done done pieces with Barstool. He, he owns two bars. Um, he's very, you know, back in school. Yeah, he's back in school. He's going to graduate soon. So his portfolio is very diverse, you know, something that you, you really can't get taught. You kind of have to have a knack for it, but also yeah. keeping your mind on the fact that, Hey, this isn't the end all be all. There's more after this, this will wrap up episode four. We thank you all for listening. As always, check us out on the web. There is content that we're releasing on the web on our website, athletesoutofaction.com, that you will not hear here on the podcast um, and also some of our full-length interviews. So, again, check us out on Instagram, at athletesoutofaction. Send us your stories. Episode 5 coming on Monday, and we hope to see you then. Thanks. Thanks.